Hello, I'm Paul Cuddehy and welcome to this special Read All About It podcast series, The 12 Days of Bookless. Do you see what I did there? And here's what you can look forward to. 12 days, 12 guests and a whole host of great book recommendations as each guest chooses their favourite fiction and non-fiction read of 2020. Well, I also choose a book I've enjoyed reading this year. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about this special Read All About It podcast series. Hello and welcome to the latest in the series of the 12 Days of Bookmas, this special series brought to you by Read All About It podcast. I'm delighted to be joined on this episode by the writer Karen Carvel. Karen, thanks for joining me on the 12 Days of Bookmas. You are one of the early guests on the Read All About It podcast and it, it seems so long ago now that we were actually able to meet face to face to record it. I know it does, doesn't it? It's like a whole different world and I, I got to go to Celtic Park and stand in the pitch and everything and now we're talking to each other from our kitchen tables. <laughs> One of the things I was wanting to do with this shorter podcast was just to give people some more book recommendations but also I'm always intrigued to see you know what people choose in terms of what they've read over the last year but then also what your reading habits are in terms of that's why I was asking for a fiction and a non-fiction and do you over the course of the year how do you split that or is it just as a book grabs your attention regardless of whether it's fiction or non-fiction is that the one that you then pick up? Yeah I think so I mean I've always got a pile of books you know that I haven't read yet that I want to get my teeth into I, I tend to buy books sometimes I've bought books twice because I've thought oh I really need to get that one then I realise it's still on my shelf and I haven't read it but so, I, I, you know, it is very much, there's always plenty of books there to choose and it's really just what takes my fancy. I, I'm like that when I write as well. It's, I like to chop and change and not just go for the same thing all the time. So I do read a lot more fiction, but I love nonfiction when it's, you know, like nature writing or to do with writing or, or something that I guess the subject matter takes my fancy. I'm not into sort of more factual stuff like history and war and things like that. So... It's, it's really just how I feel on, on the day when I finish one book and I'm ready to start the next. And is that something you always know? What's next on the horizon for you once, as you're reading a book? Not always, no. There's some books that I wouldn't mention particularly, but, you know, that there may be worthy tomes that you really should read and, and they're always on my bedside table waiting expectantly for that moment. And, you know, sometimes I plunge in and, and I think, oh God, why didn't I read this earlier? Lanark is a case in point. You know, it's an amazing book, but it's also a bit daunting in its structure, its size, everything. Um, but I'm so glad that I did read it. Sometimes, yeah, it's more about my state of mind, I think, than poor book. It's not the book's fault, it's, it's how I'm feeling. But more and more, I like to read new stuff because there's so many books and so little time. Even during lockdown, my pile is still huge and I keep adding to it. So I'll keep reading. Well, that is the perfect link to take me on to the first book choice. And I'm going to go with the, the fiction book that you've chosen. And that is a, a book that came out in, in 2020. And that's Mayflies by Andrew O'Hagan. I bought Mayflies because I was meant to be at the Collinsey Book Festival back in April with Andrew O'Hagan. Of course, that didn't happen. Thank you, lockdown. So many things on my calendar this year have been scoring out, sadly. A week writing tuition in Italy, that was one to go as well. But anyway, so I, I, I've read a few of Andrew's books before. I've read The Illuminations and just the, the sort of storyline of Mayflies appealed to me anyway. So I, I would have picked it up whether I thought I was reading with him or not. And it's just of my era. It's about a group of boys lads, I suppose, is a, a better term, in the 1980s. Um, they're really into their, their music and they have a, a weekend down in Manchester, basically seeing bands, going clubbing, just soaking up the atmosphere. And, 
you know, the, there's references to bands like the Smiths and um, so many. I mean, I, I was more into punk rock. It's just that whole sense of like when, when I was a teenager, me and my pals, it was all about music. You know, every Friday night we would be meeting in the rock garden in Glasgow and then going up to Night Moves sort of gothy disco you know seeing bands and, and it was just such an integral part of our friendship and that's what this book's about too it's about something that's beautiful and quite ephemeral as well you know that the title mayfly says it all that like there's this moment of splendor you're at your best at a certain point and it can never quite be recaptured so the book split into two the first half is all about this weekend and you really see the the different friendships and the bonding that goes on and and this uh the men that these guys might become, but you're not quite sure. And then the second part of the book is more in the present day. And it's two of those characters coming to terms with, I don't want to give a spoiler, but a pretty sad part of, of one of their lives. Another one has to basically step up and be that friend again to them. I really liked it for the, the musical references, the nostalgia. I think it was really good at capturing that whole fleetingness of, but intensity of teenage friendships where you know, nothing else matters but that Friday and Saturday with your mates and, and the weird conversations you have. I mean, with my friends, it was, we would sort of recite reams of the young ones. You would just instinctively riff off each other. In Andrew's book, it's more um, 1960s films, like Albert Finney type films and things, which I'm not so afraid with. But there's that same sense of it's like a common language and a shorthand and, and the way that the friends kind of slot back into that when they're older. Or some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them are a wee bit awkward. And, and that's true to life as well. And, and I think his, his language is brilliant as well. I mean, he, there's a phrase that's stuck in my mind and it's, it's the last day of school and he talks about and we smashed out into the sunlight. And you just get that sense of the swing doors going. You get the, the possibilities on the horizon just in a very few words. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Because it's a book that I'm really keen to read for a whole variety of reasons. Andrew Hagen's first novel, Air Flowers, is one of my favourite Scottish novels. I think it's a, a stunning uh, novel. But I love that idea, just what you were talking about in terms of, you know, the music. When you are that age, it's such a part of your identity. It's a part of, of you forming your identity because certainly I think back when we were younger, there was maybe a, a bigger split between your parents and you in terms of culture, which I, I'm maybe not quite sure if, if that's quite as definitive now, but quite often when I was, I'd be working and we'd be travelling all over Scotland going to football and we'd just have music on in the car. It would be songs from the 80s. And suddenly you're back. As soon as that's, you hear those songs or you're watching old episodes of Top of the Box, as soon as you hear those songs, you're suddenly back at that age. As you say, as being a, a teenager in your early 20s and everything that those songs remind you of. And that, that's what I love about that kind of sense of nostalgia. It sometimes amazes me that, you know, maybe 35 years later, I'm sitting in my house in the kitchen having a cup of tea, listening to the same songs and thinking, if my 18-year-old self could have seen me now, they would think, there's no way you're going to be sitting as a middle-aged man having a cup of tea listening to the Smiths, for example, as you mentioned. But the whole point of that is that in your head, you still are that 17-year-old, aren't you? You know, sometimes you look in the mirror and you think, oh my God, it's my grandma looking back at me. But <laughs> in your head, you're still that person that feels those things and thinks that way. And life can change you, but I don't know if it changes the core of a person. And I still love the music that I loved then. That hasn't changed. I mean, I like other stuff too, but I haven't ever turned around and thought, oh, that you know, that's all in the past. And what was I thinking? I, I still often will put on Susie and the Banshees and dance around the kitchen while I'm cooking, if no one else is in the house. I like that sort of, yeah, it says the recognition, I guess, that, that Mayflies evoked inside me. Um, and it came just after, am I allowed to mention another book? Um, I'd just yes. finished reading Scabby Queen. 
and it's very similar in terms of that sort of era music world small town scotland growing up all, all of those sorts of themes were there too so it felt like a really nice complement to that male perspective and a female perspective of, of the same sort of story one of the things that struck me was that andrew hagan he references britain an awful lot it started to sort of jump out at me and i know that you know i really or he did quite a emotional speech at the Edinburgh Book Festival a few years back talking about moving away from unionism and feeling that independence for Scotland was, was the right thing. And I wondered if the word Britain was also about elegy and about nostalgia and about, you know, down in Manchester, that sense of it was British youth and that's kind of gone as well. Um, I, I don't know, but it, it just, it struck me that, that that might be one of the reasons that he was sort of because I don't, I don't remember at that age, I always thought I was Scottish. I don't remember referencing myself as British all the time. See, I, I wonder because Andrew Hagen's background, I think, uh, would have been uh, West Coast of Scotland Catholicism. And, and, mm-hmm. and our fathers, that's very much rooted in that. And I remember, I'm maybe a couple of years younger than him, and I remember being at school as a teenager. And we would have been as Catholics quite wary and suspicious of independent Scotland and emblems of Scottishness. I think right. just... Kind of traditionally, so we would have been Labour voters, but very much Labour voters within the Union at the time. I think that you know Scottish nationalism was seen in, in Scottish independence, and as I say, the you know anything the idea of I remember us having discussions at school. The idea of us wearing a kilt was just there's just no way we do that because that's not something we'd done. And I think that was maybe from our parents, our grandparents' generation of the mistrust of what a, an independent Scotland might bring. That has completely changed the evolution of that for a whole variety of reasons political, social, religious reasons, you know, that, that, that's no longer the case at all. But at that time, in the, in the 80s, I, I, I remember having those conversations with friends at school. Well, that's, that's us digressed down a whole other route, but that just shows you the power of books, doesn't it? That, you know, it just makes you think beyond the pages, which I guess makes it a good book. Now, in the course of these podcasts, as well as asking each guest to choose their favourite fiction and non-fiction, I've chosen a book that I've read in the past year that I've really enjoyed I was tempted to choose The Sound of the Earth, but I didn't want to embarrass you. Your novel, which I, I, I read and obviously corresponded with you at the time, which I just thought was, was brilliant. And Thank you. Although I'm, not, although I'm not recommending it to you, on one of the other 12 days of Bookmas, I have recommended it to someone else because, I say, it was one of my favourite books of 2020, and I just think people should, should be reading it. So any excuse to, to give it a plug. But the book that I wanted to talk about was another book that I absolutely loved in 2020. And it was another guest on the podcast called Tammy Hoof. And the book is called A More Perfect Union. And at the time when I was speaking to, to Tammy and she was just in the process, it was, the book was almost coming out. It's a novel set in the, the mid-19th century, a wee bit in Ireland, but mainly in, in the southern states of America. It's based loosely on the true story of her great-great-grandparents. So the story, similar to her own family story, is her great-great-grandfather escaped from Ireland during the famine, obviously landed in New York, found a lot of anti-Irish prejudice, changed his surname, and then headed down to Virginia, where he was just ended up working, I think he was a blacksmith, he was working in, in some of the plantations. He meets Sarah, who is a slave on this plantation, and they fall in love. And obviously at that time, not only was that kind of relationship more than frowned upon, it was completely illegal. At the heart of it is a love story about how this relationship develops and how they manage to kind of stay together despite everything that that is against them. It's told from the three perspectives of Sarah Henry and also one of the other slaves on the plantation, which is probably the saddest part of the story. Ostensibly, she's she's in charge of all the the, the women that are working in the house. 
And at first, she, she seems very, very hard on Sarah. So at first, she's quite a, a, an unlikable character, but her story is so tragic because as, you, as the story unfolds, you find out how she's ended up there. She's been torn away from her husband, from her daughter, and it's just a heartbreaking story. And, and then you can see how, you know, why she is the way she is because it's just life has been just so terrible to her. It's a beautifully written book. It's, it is a love story. But it's also, I think, to understand even how America is now, I think they need to still confront their past. And it's books like this that are really, really brilliantly written, um, but also kind of tell that story. And it's a really, it's a really wonderful book. I like the sound of the woman you're talking about that basically had to harden herself in order to survive. Because to me, that fiction is the only art form that, that you see a surface and you get behind that, don't you? And, and you, you get into somebody else's head and you, you can wear their shoes, see the world through their eyes and just, I guess, increase empathy and, and understanding it can speak about a world and a life that you know nothing about, but on a human level that you can relate to. I found myself really, when I was reading it, really kind of, you know, that way you're, you're rooting for them in terms of the love story, but it's some of the what she touches on in terms of what was going on in, in America at that time was really heartbreaking and quite harrowing. But the, the idea of loving someone as an act of bravery is incredible, isn't it? That you could risk your life by just choosing the person that you, you want to be with. It's just awful. It's unbearable to think of that, that, that some society, some state could repress you in that way, that you're not even free to follow your heart. We're on to the non-fiction book that you've chosen that was a favourite of yours from 2020. And that's a book called Negative Capability by Michelle Roberts. Yeah, this book, it's published by Sandstone Press. I know Michelle a wee bit because we both um, were at Bloomsbury publishing for a while together and I did an event with her. She's a writer that I don't think gets the credit that, that she's due. She's written about 13 novels, I think. She's been shortlisted for the Booker. She is a beautiful writer in terms of, sort of lyrically, a really generous, warm person as well. Um, and this book is about a period, I think quite recently in her life, where she was dropped by her publisher. You know, she was working on a, a book that the publisher just didn't want and it didn't really matter all of that hinterland of experience that, that she had, which, you know, any writer will tell you is kind of true. It's, it's you're only as good as your, your next book, not the one that you've done before. And it's about her kind of search for meaning again, because when you're a writer and then all of a sudden you're not a writer because nobody wants your book, it's really hard to get your head around and it's hard to know quite who you are. She's also an older woman, so I think it was a kind of exploration too of, of that point in many women's lives where you become almost invisible and you're on the sort of what's it they say there's a maiden mother and crone spectrum you're kind of going towards the crone <laughs> spectrum and people don't see for who you are so she she writes very very well about this loss of identity this loss of core who is she if she can't be a writer I think anybody reading it though would enjoy it just for that sense of displacement once you get to a certain age but as a writer I particularly you know we've all had rejections and, and a lot of it chimed with me because you can feel like what's the point if I'm writing into this void and nobody wants to hear it but Michelle is half French and what she did was she went and stayed in I think it was an old family cottage in France where her mother's from and she'd been there on holiday before, but she always felt she never kind of belonged in England or France. And then has this time in, in France where she basically starts to heal and she starts to get to know the other half of her that she's, I wouldn't say suppressed, but it's just she's lived in England most of her life and that's who she is. And, and it's like she balances her yin and yang almost. And she just writes beautifully about food and, and colour and light and 
art and it's one of those books that I, you can savor every page as well as the sort of compelling human drama of a woman of a certain age trying to find her place in the world again when the world's kind of said we don't want you. The only book I've read of hers, funnily enough, I read it a few years ago, but I actually looked out recently because I wanted to read it. It was The Wild Girl, which is a kind of, I fictionalised the, almost the fifth gospel, which is the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. I love the idea of this negative capability for the, you know, the reasons you were talking about is that idea of, particularly as, as, as Andy gets older, they, you know, what you do becomes part of your identity to, you know, what, whatever it is that you quite often, that's one of the first things people will ask you is, you know, once they're introduced to you, what is it you do? And that becomes such a part of your identity. And, and quite often you read things about people who retire to early retirement because their life's been so wrapped up in their job and their employment. Then unless you have a clear idea of how you're going to occupy that time and that space, it can be quite difficult. And I think even just a cursory reading of what the book's about or what you've said is, I can imagine that, you know, particularly for somebody like her, who's, as you say, has, has written this great body of work, suddenly out of nowhere, somebody just says to her, no thanks. That's a difficult, difficult thing, I think, for anybody to deal with because, as you say, suddenly it's a, a rejection of, I suppose, part of your identity. But but she does what the best writers do and she kind of stares us straight in the face and she writes about it. You know, and it's a really brave act. Um, I won't tell you how it ends, but, I mean, the, 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 there's, there's light as well as dark in it. But, yes, you know, writing is about laying yourself bare on the page to some degree albeit normally you cloak yourself in character and plot, but, but she doesn't hear. She's just laying herself bare on the page and saying, this is it, and this is how I'm feeling. She's very honest, um, and she's a very sort of sensual writer too, so you've got this contrast of the starkness, and, and she's not at all dried out, and I don't mean it that way, but that sense of being used up and washed out with this rich description that is like screaming, of course I'm not, of course I've got loads of things to say, which you know is a, is a really sort of good contrast, and she proves herself a writer on every page. But, you know, that is the, the way of the publishing world that often we're talking about how you choose a, the next book you're going to read. But I guess that's true of publishers as well, that it might just be that you're not flavour of the month or that the book you're offering is a bit too much like one they've just published or the trend has moved on. And, you know, that there's lots of reasons beyond the personal, but it's really hard not to take it personally. Like all rejection, but when it's given, it's you do, you go into yourself and you think it must be me as opposed yeah. to shrugging it off and saying, oh, well. But what she does do is she reworks and reworks the novel that was rejected. She gets rid of her agent who's telling her to get rid of the book. She still believes in the work. So you could argue that's being bloody-minded or being true to your craft and you'll have to read it to find out if she's right or not. Just before we go, I mentioned right at the start, obviously the last time that you and I spoke in the podcast, we were able to do the interview face-to-face when I are doing it via Zoom, given everything that's been on with the coronavirus pandemic. And in recent months, I'd obviously seen the news headlines of, of a project that you're working on in relation to the, the coronavirus pandemic. I think it's part of a, a wider umbrella called Atlas Pandemica, but you're working with the Fries and Galloway Council in terms of, is it, is it recording their response or how people are, who work with the council are coping with these unprecedented times? Yeah, I'm, I'm writer in residence at the Fries and Galloway Council and you're right, Atlas Pandemic is the sort of umbrella project and there's 10 different artists working in the Fries and Galloway just trying to record how the region is coping with the pandemic in all sorts of different ways. We've got one person who is creating Zen gardens as kind of quiet moments of contemplation. We've got someone else who is charting the history of previous pandemics, like the Black Death and stuff. Um, we've got a, a whole bunch of stuff that you can go online and, and find out about. But I basically volunteered 
with Dumfries and Galloway Council at the start of the pandemic to help with their communications because I used to be a press officer in Glasgow City Council um, and I, I just figured that the press office will be the place that's probably got two people working in it and you know they're having to deal with all of this public information, health information. At that point you know March, April everything was like fluid every day, things were changing. So I ended up working on a bulletin, a community bulletin, like a wee newsletter that was going out twice a week and as well as with public health information, it had a lot of good news stories in it about things that the council had been doing, you know, just quiet things behind the scene. Might be something as simple as a guy who was a gym instructor, obviously all the gym shut, so he volunteered to redeploy as a bin man because that became a frontline service. So when I saw the Atlas Pandemica commissions come out, I pitched in and said, you know, I would really love to be a writer in residence with Dumfries and Galloway so that I can start to capture some of these stories. So that's what I've been doing. I've just been interviewing people getting their own words, but then fictionalising, mixing things up a wee bit, maybe splicing two stories together and um, trying to give, sort of, I suppose, mark this moment in history a wee bit in terms of very quiet, low-level, heroic stuff that's going on behind the scenes and also give council staff just that wee pause for breath to, to sort of take a moment and say, we've actually done quite a good job or not. I mean, some people have found it quite traumatic and they felt cut adrift. They haven't liked working from home. But more and more, the themes that are coming out are that, you know, as one chap said to me at the start, he was just having to do everything for that area he worked in. It didn't matter if it was technically his job or not. And he said, now I don't think I'll ever see it. That's not my job again. And having been a council employee, that's your motto. That's not my job. That's, that's you know, that's roads and lighting. And it feels like the silos have kind of crumbled a wee bit and folk are working across departments and out with the council, with partner agencies much more than they used to because they kind of had to. I think there's a, a real hope that those walls don't go up again. And the stories I'm writing are just a tiny wee window in, into that moment of change within the council. Not only does it sound like a fascinating project, but it sounds like a really important one because obviously in the, in the eye of this storm, as it were, there's always that danger that, that nobody is capturing that until later and you get a different perspective with a, a bit of distance between it. Whereas if you're right in there just now, capturing those stories and I think fiction can sometimes capture these things just as, as well as, as non-fiction. I think it's, it's a really important and I think it'll prove to be a really valuable thing as well. I hope so and it's been really good for me as a writer because it's got me writing again in sort of wee short bursts and sort of staying the pandemic in the eye as opposed to shying away from it but through the lens of other people so I think it's helped sort of unblock me a wee bit because I've not really been writing during lockdown other than, than this work but I'm really enjoying it and I'm sort of turning out a couple of stories a week, which is, is a record for me. So, you know, long may that continue. Well, I look forward to, to seeing that when, when it sees the light of day. In the meantime, as well as the recommendations that Karen and I have given, go and get The Sound of the Earls because, take it for me, it is a brilliant novel uh, and you will certainly enjoy reading that. But Karen, thanks again for joining me on the podcast on the 12 Days of Bookmas. I hope that, that you and your family have a lovely Christmas when it, when it comes around and continued happy reading. Thank you and thank you very much for inviting me and a good new year to you as well. Thanks for listening to the 12 Days of Bookness, a special Read All About It podcast series that is so special it even has its own theme tune. You can subscribe to the podcast and leave a review which will help other book lovers find us and I hope you can join me, Paul Cuddy, on the next episode. In the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.